Our scripture reading today is Psalm 139, found on page 521 of your pew Bible. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to study your word today, we ask you to open our minds and open our ears to what you are speaking to us. Amen. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How fast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake, and I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me! They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Well, as we work our way through the different aspects of who God is, his nature, his attributes, uh, we come now to discuss how God is infinite in relationship to space. That is, there is no space apart from God's presence. God is, uh, the, the word would be used as omnipresent. He is everywhere. God is everywhere. Um, and as we get into this psalm, which is a beautiful reminder um, of what that is, of how, you know, if he ascends into heaven, if he descends into Sheol, if he um, takes the wings of the morning and dwells in the uttermost parts of the sea, that, that nowhere is absent of God's presence. Uh, it's also a good reminder that we, we see in all of this of how um, they all hold together because God who sees all things, that even um, he searches out his paths, he's lying down, he's acquainted with all his ways. Uh, a God who knows all things, in part knows all things, because he is everywhere. There is no place that's hidden from his view. Um, a God who is apart from eternity, who um, knows the days before him, before they were written, um, that he knows all of these things and sees all these things and is powerful and just. Um, but we will focus on what it means for God to be uh, everywhere. 
to be present everywhere. Um, we're going to look at that, and then we're going to look at um, kind of what that, that means, um, imparting comfort, um, but also in threat, and what it means for our worship and what it means for our mission. Um, so for God to be everywhere means just that. <laughs> There's no place apart from God's presence. Um, and, and so we can think of just the most extreme, uttermost parts of the universe even though we don't know what that is or what it's like, God is there as much as God is here. And what we understand is because God has no body. We who are physical beings, um, we are, I mean, wherever you are, there you are, right? There's some kind of proverb like that. It's an obvious thing to us that we exist in, in one body. Now, those of y'all with more than one kid, those of you who are busy running around um, during um, all the busyness of Christmas holiday, you probably at one point wished, I wish I could be in more than one place at one time. There's a lot to do. I have a lot of errands to run, and it would be nice if I could be. But, you know, wherever we are, because we're located in our bodies, God has no body. Therefore, he's not restrained to one location. We kind of get a sense of this, um, just thinking about the parts of us that are spiritual, that aren't physical, where they're not restrained by um, location, by physical presence, right? So you can remember the home you grew up in, right? And suddenly, to your mind, that location comes to being. And in a sense, you can almost spiritually be there through your memory in a different place. Maybe more exciting is you get out on a cold morning like this, you get in your car, and if you, well, don't close your eyes driving, but if you close your eyes, in your imagination, you can be, well, some of y'all back in Costa Rica, not going to pull out people. <laughs> Others of us could just be on Panama City Beach, you know, you could be somewhere it's warm and sunny in your imagination. Um, of course, uh, you might need a lot more imagination to feel that warmth, but what I mean is, the parts of us that are spiritual kind of get a sense of what it is for God to be present everywhere. Now, some people kind of mistake this idea and have the idea that God is in all things, right? If God's everywhere, then um, this tree out here, God's in that tree, and God's in this ground, and God's in that bird, and God's in us, and that's not the way God is everywhere. There, there remains a distinction between who God is and who creation is, so we're not saying by being everywhere God is in these things, because he's not physical doesn't mean he has to be distributed through these things. He exists in the same spot that we do, yet he's distinct from us. And he's where that tree is, but distinct from that tree. But God is everywhere. And moreover, God isn't spread thin. He's infinite. So the idea that God is, is kind of everywhere doesn't mean we take a limited amount and spread it out like a, like a balloon filling with air. And that air could just kind of disperse through a certain area. In other words, what I mean is God exists with all his power, all his grace, all his love, all his knowledge, all of who he is exists everywhere. It's not like there's less of God the further you get away from oh, Alabama or something. You know, it's just he's, God's everywhere. So I love part of this psalm because it reminds us such knowledge is too wonderful me. It is high. I cannot attain us, uh, not attain it. 
that this idea of who God is is too great for me to even understand. It's so wonderful, I can't understand. All I can do is praise Him. And that's part of the, the intent of all of this is to remind us God is a God who is not like us. We can't approach Him thinking of the way we think of ourselves. We approach Him thinking of as He's revealed Himself as a God who is so far beyond us, we cannot attain it. It's incredibly wonderful knowledge beyond us. And so we hear how he has revealed himself to us. We marvel at who he is. We worship him. But we also see this does apply to our life. Now, before we move to that application, you might say, wait a minute. Doesn't God say, draw near to me and I will draw near to you? Isn't there a sense that we can be close to God and there's others who are far from me? Isn't there a way of sending those who will be sent to the outer darkness where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth? That There's all this kind of language of closeness and proximity and things. And there is. And they are telling us something about God's presence that is not, strictly speaking, His presence. It's His presence in His covenant faithfulness. It's his presence in his love. It's his presence through his intention. And so there's a sense in which we can be closer and further from God, but it is about his intent towards us and his promises to us that is a difference between the, strictly speaking, God's unlimited um, uh, in his being. So in other words, uh, you... Probably all have felt times when you feel closer to God. You feel His presence through His Spirit, bearing witness to your spirit of His love to you. Some of you that has been in times of grief and sorrow, the Spirit has come and fulfilled that promise to give you a peace that this world can't give. And, and you feel Him drawing closer to you. There, for, for some of you, there's been seasons of prayer that you have been committing yourself to Him, and in that commitment and desire to follow Him, you feel His presence closer to you. That is a good thing. And there's other times we, we turn from God, and we, we, we make ourselves absent from His Word, absent from His people, and we do feel a distance. But all of this is a distance that is more of a subjective description of God's intent and purposes in our relationship with Him. Um, I think every sermon in this series I've referred to Stephen Charnock. Um, maybe I should just read his sermons, but the these and thou's would throw you, they throw me. But Stephen Charnock talks about this, and he says, you know, if you're ever in a boat sometime, and if you had a rope that's going from the boat to a pier, um, and you pull that rope, sometimes it feels like you're drawing the land to yourself. It has every appearance subjectively of pulling the ground to you. But the truth is, obviously, that you are moving closer to it. And, it's, and so there's a sense in which we talk about this drawing near and, and being in God's presence. And it, it's true, but it's a subjective of me in relationship to Him. Because God is always there. And, and if, if we are rebelling against Him, there's a different of intent than if we are trusting in Jesus through faith. And, and there's a difference of intent when God makes promises to be present in a certain way. It's not that he's not God in Philistia as well as in Israel, but he promises 
to be present in the Ark of the Covenant because of his promise, because of his word. So there's the, the promise made to the Ark of the Covenant that as it has this law of covenant, it has these covenant promises with them, because there's an intent and a purpose of that covenant with us, there's a way we talk about God being present there so that worship surrounds in the Old Testament the, the Ark of the Covenant because it is a sign of that unique presence. But it, the sign is of God's covenant presence, of his promises to those who trust in him, not that he is any less God over in uh, other parts of the world. The, the Philistines and the, the Israelites learned this. They, they had the Ark of the Covenant, and in there was where there was worship. It was God's promise of presence. But the, when the Israelites took it into battle and w- with the intent of saying, we have God and we can control him, we have his presence commanded, the ark is taken. The people are defeated, and the Philistines take the ark. And yet there, they can't say, we control God. We have his presence contained here. There, they discover that their temple becomes defaced. The, the, the idols fall down. The people were smitten with sores and infestation of mice. Uh, all these things take place as a reminder, you don't control this God. And so they send it away. Um, and, and all of it is like there's the presence, but the presence to those in, in who are worshiping false gods, it's a presence of judgment and condemnation. For the presence of God's people who trust him, it's, it's promise and faithfulness. Maybe this becomes more clear as we look at some of these things of the way it applies to us, of God being a God who is everywhere. He is a God everywhere should give us great comfort. To know this is the, the primary thing we see in Psalm 139 is where shall I go from you? Where can I flee from your presence? You're with me. It's the same promise we have from Romans that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so we gather here today and it's so evident to us as we uh, share with one another, as we encourage one another that God is present with us as we remember his promises. But, but God is no less with you as you go through this week and the challenges of this week, you might go into some really dark places that you think this is God forsaken. But there is no inch on earth that is God forsaken. God is there. You might go into places where no one is acknowledging or thinking of God and and you might just feel overwhelmed and, and you think, is he really here? He's with you. What, what great comfort to know if, if you're alone and feeling lonely that you can take comfort to know you're never alone because God is always with you with his promise of grace and mercy. When you're feeling separated from everyone else to know he's with you. Parents, grandparents, what comfort it is to know that we want to see, her, you know, just there's a difference of seeing your child and knowing they're okay and, and not seeing them and wondering, is everything good? And to know God is God everywhere. And even if you don't see where your loved one is, God is no less with them than when you see them and can remind them of his presence. God is with them. Take comfort in this. What comfort it is to know that even beyond this life, Even as we take our final breath, we have the promise that those who are no longer with us are no less 
present with our loving God. And all the promises and fullness of his grace and love are with those who have gone on. What comfort to know that yet we don't see, we can know they're even closer to God, closer to him in relationship than than we are. And yet that same comfort can be a threat to those who rebel against him and turn from him. there, There could be a way of, well... Forgive me this digression. Do y'all, do y'all know the, the song by the police, Every Breath You Take? And how beautiful love song and dance with it at prom and all. And then you look at it and it's like, oh, no, this is about a stalker. This is, this is a scary, scary story, you know. There's almost a way, I'm not calling God a stalker, but what I'm saying is there's an almost a way of reading this that if you are in rebellion against God, if your heart is far from him and you say, I want to do things my own way, You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? You can't get away from this God. And if you think that you can get away with sin that God doesn't see, what a foolish notion of God. Can I say that there's times that we say this so obvious, yeah, God's everywhere, God's omnipotent, but do our hearts really believe it? Guys, when you look at something because no one else is in the room, are you not denying that God is there with you watching what you watch? When you are at home and you treat others different than the way you treat in this very room, are you not denying that God is everywhere? When you are with friends who are not in the church and your language is different and your attitude to other people is different, Are you not saying, I don't believe in an all-present God who sees everything? And if your life is marked by that, that I want to be away from this God, I don't want anything to do with this God, God is going to be with us. We can't escape his judgment. There's no place we shut a door to this God. He is always with us, and we will never be able to run away from his judgment. We fool ourselves to think that God doesn't see, and God doesn't really hold me accountable. We often talk about hell as though it's separation from God. God can't be separated from us. Hell is eternal presence with God who we have rebelled against and want nothing to do with it, and that is our hell as we receive that eternal presence in one who is wrathful to us because we have not surrendered to his grace and mercy. Have you ever gone to an event and you know someone else is going to be there that you really don't want to be with? Okay, just me. All right. Well, let me tell you what that's like. <laughs> now, let's say there's somebody you really don't want to be around and you're going to an event and, everybody, and they're going to be there and you get stuck with them. You don't want to be with them. That is the worst kind of party. That's hell if it's God that you don't want to be with. You are with him forever, and if you have eternally rejected his light and his beauty and his life and his goodness, you have said, I don't want you, and there's nothing for him to be to you except for condemnation and judgment and wrath. 
And so it is a threat to us that his omnipresence, there is no place we can lock the door and say, God, this is mine, you can't come in. He comes to us in judgment as well as comfort and mercy to those who love him and submit to him and trust in him. God's omnipresence, that he is everywhere, informs our understanding of worship. There's some of us who kind of have this attitude of coming to church is about being in this holy place. This is a holy spot, right? This is, this is more sacred than the Walmart or something. And yet that's not what Christian worship is. It's, it's, this is a beautiful place. that ought to be a place that lifts our hearts to consider reverence, to remind us of his peace and to, to place. It ought to be a place as we come to here to, to think of the generations that have consecrated this room through receiving the Lord's Supper, the generations that have received baptism, the, the, the Sunday after Sunday that the gospel has been proclaimed and echoed off these walls. In other words, what I'm saying is there is something sacred about this place, but what is sacred is you. You are the temple of God, and the place where you gather and sing his presence, praises and lift up your prayers to him and proclaim his glorious grace, that is what makes it holy and sacred. And wherever God's people do that is consecrated to him because you are his temple. And throughout the week we go and we, we are where the Spirit dwells because He has made promises to you and He has loved you and He has put His name upon you so that your presence is something different than other things in this world. And so the idea of coming to worship is not I'm coming to a holy place. It's not that God has made these more sacred things. We didn't move over here because, you know, across the street's not quite as holy. It's not that there's something here that we meet. It's that we meet. And so this idea of going to church as being going to a holy area is, in other words, we go out and, and there is holiness, there is God with us. And, and so our idea of worship is not going to a holy place. In other words, we can't worship just as well on the golf course or in a tree stand or name your temptation where you do enjoy the beauty and you feel close to God because Christian worship, to be Christian worship, is gathering with his people. And we're not gathered there. It's not because country club's less holy than here. It's not because hunting place is less holy. It's because you're not hearing the gospel. You're not receiving the sacrament. You're not praying with brothers and sisters. You're not singing his praises. And so worship is about coming together not being in a holy spot that we come to get some holiness on us. Finally, it reminds us of mission. We worship and we go out with that, holy, that, that presence of God. We remember his presence that is given to us in the signs, no less in the Lord's Supper where he is with us because of his promise as much as the Ark of the Covenant, but we remember he is everywhere, and that drives us and compels us to take the gospel everywhere. Let's say that we might be tempted to look at a map of the world and look at certain areas and think, Middle East is all Muslim. There's a lot of Christians here in the Bible Belt, but over there, that's Muslim. And other places in Asia, that's Buddhist. And there's other places, there's just not a lot of people, so they don't really count. And to think that, you know, that's theirs and here, but that's completely unbiblical 
and against the idea of God who is everywhere because God is Lord over Iran and Iraq as much as he is Lord over here. He is God over all creation. He is present there. And because he has people in China and Brazil and Cuba and all over these places, we are to go and proclaim his lordship and his gospel that reaches all over. That's why we send people to Lebanon. That's why we partner to send and train people all through the world because God is Lord over these places and he is present there no less than he is present here. And we recognize this and send, and that's also why we recognize there might be some areas that are more rural that are no less under God's dominion and no less under his love that we want to stretch out and send love and build his church There's no less that there's other areas that we want to go to that are as significant as any place else in God's economy. The the numbers might not be as great, but God's kingdom is to reign over there. And so we reach out with the gospel and with the promises to the Lord who is already before us. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe for the words of the Apostles' Creed.